Welcome to another edition of Running the Race with Rob King. I'm so glad that you're with us today. I am more than a little bit excited to start the study today because we're going to now go through, Lord willing, the book of Revelation. Revelation. Open with me, if you will, the scriptures to the book of Revolution. <laughs> I already got it wrong. Revolution. And I'm troubled by people who say revelations, plural. No, it's the revelation, revelation, singular, of Jesus Christ. We're going to be covering verses 1 through 6 today, Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, if you have the scriptures there with you. Before I read this passage, I need to begin with a little bit of an introduction. Maybe a little bit more than usual, but I'm going to try not to go too much in depth. I would encourage you to get a really good study Bible. And then at the beginning of every book, and I did this even this morning, just in your devotional time when you're reading the Bible and praying every day, that you have a good study Bible so that when you begin a new book, you can see the time, the date, the author, the background, the context, the historical background. Just a little bit of background helps and goes a long way to understand the book itself and what's intended. And it just gives you a framework, and you need that as you study the Scripture. So get a good study Bible and uh, and study uh, a little bit of the background, if you would, of the book of Revelation before we get into it. That would be super helpful. I use the MacArthur Study Bible, as I've said, and I've sent that to many of you uh, via email. I can be reached at robkingpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, so you can understand the the introduction kind of to Revelation and give you good background. Now, especially the book of Revelation, this is going to be important because, for example, just one thing, if you believe the book was written earlier than later, you might be tempted to believe that all of the prophecy in the book of Revelation was fulfilled in Jerusalem in 70 AD, instead of, as we believe, that they are Uh, prophecies that are to be fulfilled, this futuristic view, uh, the second coming of Jesus Christ. So instead of going into all those details here, I'm going to leave that study a little bit to you, and I'll just give you maybe a brief overview of the book of Revelation. Ironically, the word revelation translates to an uncovering or an unveiling. I say ironically, the Greek word is apocalypsis, which you would recognize, right, as apocalypse, probably. It just simply means an uncovering and an unveiling. I say it's ironic because uh, um, the vast majority of people, when they think of the book of Revelation, they consider it to be a complete enigma, you know? I've even heard Christians say, well, you can't really understand the Scriptures, and you certainly can't understand Revelation. Uh, and a lot of times we're left to allegory and some um, strange interpretation of Revelation when we believe that it can't be understood. So I'm going to start by reminding us that we're going to take a very practical approach to the study of Scripture the same way we would any other New Testament book. We believe in the perspicuity of Scripture. That's a fancy word that God intended to say something, one thing in the Scripture, and that He has made a way for us to understand the Scriptures. 
It's not that God is playing some game with us. He doesn't want us to understand. He's given us the Holy Spirit to help us understand the Word of God. He then has blessed the church with pastors and teachers in order that we might understand the Word of God. We can also look through church history to see how the Scriptures have been interpreted and understood, right? I'm not saying that it's easy or that the book of Revelation can be just kind of read like a novel and we should be able to pick up on every nuance of the meaning— based on some cursory glance of Scripture. No, not at all. We need to be like the Bereans who studied the Word of God to see if this teaching was accurate. So there is an application of your mind, an application of study. There's there's a hermeneutical approach. There's the understanding of the words, and all of these things are very important. But bottom line is, it can be understood. We need to begin here by putting away this notion that the Bible can't be understood or that the revelation of Jesus Christ can't be understood. I mean, God intends for us to understand his holy word. He would be sadistic if he didn't. In this teaching, as we go through the book of Revelation, Lord willing, we will take a practical look at every verse and every word in order to understand and apply the truth of God's word. Now, I think another reason the, re- the uh, revelation is so misunderstood is because unsaved people consistently try to talk about it and explain it. The unregenerate person, understand this, according to Scripture, is never going to understand the Bible. They have a veil over their understanding. The Scripture teaches us this. So the only people that are even going to be able to understand it uh, are those who have the Holy Spirit dwelling on the inside of us, who have that seal of promise, those who have already believed in Christ. And so there is an understanding that we've been given an ability to understand by God, by His grace, the Word of God. And this is one of the reasons I'm so excited to go through the book of Revelation with you. I'm excited to go through it verse by verse so that we can understand what the Revelation really means. As I say the word revelation, let me remind you that it is a revelation of Jesus Christ. He's given, I think, around 24 different titles John will call him by. Titles like the faithful and true witness, the lion that uh, is from the tribe of Judah, the king of kings and lord of lords, the bright and morning star, just to name a few. This revelation of Jesus Christ was written by the apostle John. While he was on the island of Patmos, it confirms the full deity of Christ. This is a really a glorious picture of who Jesus Christ is. The essence of revelation, we must remember, is the revelation of Jesus Christ. This was written when John was an old man, after he had written his gospel and the three epistles that we've already gone through. The authorship of John, by the way, hasn't really been in question, especially the first First century, second century, third century, no real questions of his authorship, and it it still really isn't questioned, um, seriously questioned. If you study out when the book of Revelation was written, you'll find that its that its history strongly supports the idea that it was written in the mid nineties A.D. And again, this is, I'll just go into this a little bit. I can't help myself. This is critically important that some people have claimed that the book of Revelation was merely, see, they say it was written in the, er, before that. And so then they're going to say that it was predicting the destruction of Jerusalem, that everything that was written in the book of Revelation was talking about the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. 
Now, obviously, if this was written in the mid-90s AD, it could not have been pertaining to the destruction of Jerusalem, but it would have a futuristic kind of implication. Okay, indeed, this is the interpretation that we're going to take throughout our study. The futuristic approach uh, of interpretation uh, of Revelation is, is really the only way that we can apply the grammatical and literal and, as I said, hermeneutical method that we'll use to, to, to study all of Scripture. So we're going to use that same method, and the folks that I've studied and read use that same method uh, that they would use in any New Testament book or any Scripture. Uh, that same test will apply. And again, let me just say, if we don't study this book in a practical way, it's going to end up being lost in allegory and myths and a completely subjective view of what's going on. And uh, and that's what you get into when you have unsaved people interpreting it anyway. We don't want that. So this brief introduction, what I want you to come away with is the idea that we can understand the Scripture. Yes, we can. We can study the Scripture, we can look at the Scripture, and we can rely on the Holy Spirit to give us an understanding of what the Scripture means. I've come back to this idea that if if this book is a revelation of Jesus Christ, then why would God the Father not want us to understand it? So leave behind the idea that it's a mystery wrapped in an enigma, and let's look verse by verse and see what the Apostle John, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, actually said on the island of Patmos when angels revealed this stuff to him. Take your Bibles, open to Revelation chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. Here's what it says. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him, to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and was and is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood, and he has made us to become a kingdom, priests, to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So, here's the first portion. I've seen this on TV. I'm sure you've seen these phone numbers that you can call. The idea is that you'll be told the future, this psychic hotline, right? You've driven by these businesses of tarot card readers and psychics, and we've all seen in the paper where there's horoscopes and It'll supposedly tell you about your future, and people are fascinated with the future. The idea of knowing the future before it happens, there is no way to know the future outside of God. There were no there is no way to do that. Even Saul in the Old Testament sought out the dead, if you remember, for some answers about the future, but we can't speak to the dead. And only demons would speak to us through these mediums, if given a chance, and they'd give us false information and lies. The only one who knows the future and can tell the future is our sovereign God. And that's what he's going to do through the book of Revelation. 
The only source of true information regarding the future comes through the Father who is in heaven. That's one of the reasons that the book of Revelation is so exciting to study, because we know that we have the truth about the future as we study it. This book is going to tell us what the future actually is according to God, which simply means you can take that to the bank. The book begins appropriately appropriately by saying exactly what it is. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Keep that prominent in your mind as we study this. The point is, the purpose is, this is a revelation of Jesus Christ. This is an unveiling, an uncovering, the showing of who Jesus Christ really is. So think about this. When Jesus came in his ministry uh, on the earth— In those days, he was humble and lowly. The last that the world saw of him, he was bloody and hanging on the cross. Now, his disciples would see him come back from from the dead. They would see him after he came back from the dead, rather. And they would see him in a, a bit of his glory, and they would see him ascending into heaven. But the world saw Jesus riding on a donkey and then being beaten and battered and bruised and hanging naked on a tree. That's the last they saw. But the book of Revelation is going to reveal Jesus Christ when he returns. In all of his glory, we're going to see him. And throughout the book of Revelation, we see him in all of his glory. As I said, he's given 24 different titles by John in this book, all of them trying to capture his eminence and his glory and his magnificence. Can you imagine John seeing all of this and trying to put this into words? Let's remember that as we begin this study, this book of Revelation, this is a book about the revelation of Jesus Christ, our Savior. See, in the Mount of Transfiguration, think about that. When Jesus was transfigured and he was glowing white, there was three of his disciples that went up there with him. It was revealed to those three disciples some of his glory on that day. But now in the book of Revelation, we're going to see him in all of his glory. This is how he will be in his second coming. When when Christ returns, he comes in glory and full dominion and full power that the Father has given him as the Savior of the world. There is not that same donkey-riding humility. There is strength and power and might and glory. And we're, it's, oh, it's going to be so much fun because we're going to see Jesus in all of his glory. That is the point of revelation. Just a reminder again that this word revelation means an unveiling. It is to make what has not been visible actually visible. So the people who say there's a mystery, it, there's just, it's just all mystery, it's just all mystery. No, the Scripture teaches us in the New Testament that the mystery has been unveiled, and it is Jesus Christ. It is His gospel. There is no mystery anymore around His gospel. He is still absolutely unsearchable and amazing, but there, it's not that the gospel can't be understood and Christ can actually be seen. So the point of revelation is to unveil and to reveal Jesus Christ in all of his glory. This revelation which God gave him in the Scripture, it it says this. In other words, God has given Jesus Christ all of his glory. So this revelation which God gave him, you say, who is the him? The him is Jesus. He gave him this glory. If you recall from the book of Philippians chapter 2, especially verses 9 through 11, it says, Therefore also 
God highly exalted him, who? Jesus. And bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow, and those who are on heaven and on on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So he gave this to him. What is he giving to him? God the Father has given Jesus this glory. He has set him above all others, and that's the, that's the one that we're going to see. As we're going through these first six verses, you're going to want to refer back to this passage, if you have the passage there, because that's what we're, we're kind of going through this statement by statement, if you will. So the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him, we just saw that. In other words, God has given Jesus Christ this glory that we're going to see throughout this book. Next it says, to show his bondservants the things which must soon take place. So whenever you see the phrase bondservant, it literally means slave, describes a relationship. It's nothing like the slavery that we have in our recent history. Okay, so you got to put that out of your mind. This is a different—the the, the first century idea of slavery is completely different. It would be a good study to do on your own. But it is, a, it is the picture of a slave who loves his master so much, and he doesn't want to leave his master. So in other words, this was written to show that those of us who are slaves of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is actually going to reveal to us these future things. This is also why, as I said, this book can't be understood by people who don't believe in Jesus Christ, because those who don't believe in Christ can't receive that revelation of Christ. You understand what I'm saying? If you've ever read anything in a magazine about the book of Revelation or seen any interview on TV, I don't care how many PhDs those folks have or what kind of thing that they lead, if they're not born again, if they are unsaved people, you can be guaranteed of one thing. They will get revelation terribly wrong. Terribly wrong. So this is why it says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his bondservant the things which must soon take place. So in other words, he's going to show us and reveal to us who believe in him the things which must soon take place. Now, the book of Revelation is focusing on the future of what must happen and what will happen and what will soon take place. Now, this, whenever you see this word soon take place or will take place quickly or rapidly or immediately, this is not a delineation of time. It's not an indication of a time frame, like 30 seconds or a year or three years. It's stating the fact that this is going to take place. It is imminent. Does that make sense? So when it says soon will take place, the the real understanding of that is that it is eminent. It is destined. It is going to happen. You are going to be presented blameless before the throne. That it's soon. Well, that would be eminent. That is going to happen. In other words, this is a guaranteed thing. So we don't need to look at that as a time frame, but we need to say that this is eminent. Then it goes on to say, And he sent and communicated by his angel. So in other words, angels were involved in the giving of the book of Revelation to John, just as they were in giving the law of God to Moses. Angels are involved. The word angel or angels is used 71 times in the book of Revelation. 
Angels are mentioned in the book of Revelation more than any other book in the Bible. If you're interested in the study of what angels do and uh, what they're commissioned to do or able to do or who they, what they, who they are, what they are, I guess, the book of Revelation would be a good place to study that and understand angels. Many people misunderstand angels. There's a good understanding in the scripture of what angels actually do. The verse goes on. To, to his bondservant John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ and even to all that he saw. So this passage is one that, that lends itself to revealing John as the actual author because it refers to the word of God, right? It says basically Jesus is the word of God. We're reminded that is exactly how John said in his gospel uh, that's how he framed it, as he referred to Jesus Christ in the beginning was the Word. So this is simply telling us that the Apostle John is going to tell us everything that he's been shown. He's going to tell us everything that he's been shown. And then he goes on to say, Blessed is he who reads this and who heeds these words. So there's a blessing at the beginning of Revelation and at the conclusion of Revelation. For those who hear the words and those who heed the words. Of course, it would have been talking about hearing the words in this context because that would have been the only way, especially in the first century, that Christians would have had any idea about the Word of God. They would have heard the Word, but it's the same for us. To hear the Word is blessed, to heed the Word is blessed. We're even told in the New Testament when we gather together as God's people to hear His Word being read. We should, when we gather as believers, someone should stand up. I'm thinking now of Paul telling Timothy, don't neglect the reading of the Word. Stand up and somebody reads the Word. We need to hear God's Word, not just our Word, not just our fancy ideas, not just what we think. We need to hear His Word. And so there's a blessing at the beginning and at the end of Revelation. Blessed are those who hear and those who heed His words. We're to hear his words. And then he ends this portion by saying again, the time is near. Again, time here doesn't translate to a clock or a calendar, but rather means this redemptive history is imminent. It is going to happen. And of course, it's closer now than ever before. And we are in the end times because that is considered anything between the first coming and the second coming of Christ. This is the era that we are in right now. Exciting times and, and end times as we are preparing for the second coming of the Lord. He already came once. He died. He ascended into heaven. His next promise is that he will be here. Is it near? Is it soon? Yes. Meaning, it is imminent. <laughs> His promises are true. He will return. This is where I'm reminded of the times that Jesus told of the parables and stories uh, that were all about being prepared for the arrival of, or the return of the owner, being prepared for that. Remember those stories? The New Testament clearly talks about the second coming of Christ in this way. Our need is to be ready. And the way that it tells us this is just by the time is near. In other words, be ready. It's imminent. It's going to happen. Are you ready right now if it happened for the second coming of Christ? If you look back to the passage now, in verses 4 and 5, it says, uh, John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, 
and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. See all of those, those, those names of Christ in there? All of those names trying to capture all of who Christ is in all of his glory. So uh, this begins by saying, again, talking about the author, John, and he's writing to the seven churches that are in Asia. These will be listed for us further down in chapter 1. We'll probably get to those in a couple weeks, and we'll go through each of those churches, what was going on a little bit in those churches, and why he's writing to those churches. Uh, He gives them a standard greeting of grace and peace, which you see throughout the New Testament. And then he says to him who is and was and is to come, simply meaning that Jesus Christ is absolutely timeless. He is the eternal God. How, 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 How awesome is our God that we can say he is and he was and he is to come. Who can you say that about? Nobody. Nobody on earth could you say he, you can say he is. But you can't say he was. <laughs> uh, he is to come, God, in Jesus Christ, his timeless, eternal deity. And then he says to the seven spirits which are before his throne. Now, understand this. The Holy Spirit is before his throne. There is one Holy Spirit, but this number seven is given as a, as a fullness, in all of his fullness. So this, the Holy Spirit sends grace and peace. It's the Holy Spirit in all of his fullness who is there before the throne of God. And then he talks about Jesus Christ, gives him more names as the faithful witness, firstborn from the dead, which simply means the preeminent among those who have been raised from the dead. Jesus wasn't the first in Scripture. There's Old Testament uh, evidence that uh, I think Elijah had seen somebody come back from the dead. But this simply means that Christ, of all those who have ever been raised from the dead, he is the preeminent one that has been raised from the dead. He's the ruler of the kings of the earth, which means he has absolute sovereignty over the affairs of this world. Jesus Christ in all of his dominion and all of his power. This is who John sees. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ, that he has dominion and power and authority. Can't wait to get in those verses that describe Jesus. So John here, is he, this is all an intro, really. He's setting the stage. He's giving a little bit of a preamble, a little bit of, you know, describing what is to come. He's setting things up, which leads him into this doxology at the end of this, this opening kind of phrase. He's going to close this portion before he gets into the next part with this doxology. And we're familiar with the doxology, especially if you listen to the last episode of Jude, because Jude, just at the end of his letter, he just bursts forth with praise to God. This happens with John many times. I mean, sorry, Paul, many times in his writing. This is exactly what John is doing, and he's just bursting forth praise to Almighty God. This is how it closes, a bursting forth of praise. He says, to him who loves us. And released us from our sins by his blood. He has made us to be a kingdom, priests, who is God and Father. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So here, John describes the real heart of the gospel. You say, what is the gospel? Here it is. He loves us, 
And because he had loved, he loves us, he has released us from our sins. How did he do that? By his blood, by his death. In other words, he had to die, shed his blood in order that we could be saved. And he did this because he loves us. Not only that, but he's made us to be a kingdom of priests. He's made us to be a kingdom of priests to God. So here we have the means by which we are saved, and then the purpose and focus of our life now. So we are saved because Christ died for us, and now what are we going to do? Well, we're a kingdom of priests for the glory of Almighty God. We find our salvation and we find our purpose in Christ. And John, of course, then gives praise and glory and honor to God, which is not at all surprising. He bursts forth in praise. I'm reminded where Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. We are to rejoice and have this bursting forth of praise. I think there should be a doxology always uh, uh, ready in our lives. And this is what we see in the authors of the New Testament. I mean, John is on this island of Patmos, and yet he breaks forth and bursts forth with praise. And we rejoice in the Lord. We have that joy in the Lord, in Christ. When you realize your sins are forgiven because of the blood of Jesus Christ, you're now a member of this elect group. Your name has been written in the Lamb's book of life, and you're a group of this priests that are giving glory to God. How couldn't you rejoice in that? So we rejoice not in our circumstances, but we we rejoice in the Lord. He's released us from our sins by his blood, so to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Father, we thank you today for your wonderful word. To end on this note where we just give you praise and thanks for your revelation, would you, Father, grant us the ability to see Jesus Christ more and more clearly through this book? We want to see Jesus. I want to ask you for your help as we go through this study, that we would be, would, would be aided, Father, that you would be glorified and magnified. Reveal to us who you are in Christ Jesus, and reveal to us what is to come so that we can live more fully for you. Thank you, Father, that you've allowed us to understand your word. You've given us your word to understand. Father, the only reason we want to understand it is so that we can bring you more glory. So help us to hear your word, to study your word, and to heed your word for your kingdom and glory. We'll give you all the praise and all the thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.